This is episode 21 of the Walk Magazine podcast. Hi, I'm Cindy Lehman, and I am very excited to be restarting the Walk Magazine podcast. Here and on the Walk blog, you're going to see content on a more regular basis. Right now, the plan is to post a podcast episode once a month, and blog posts will be once a week. With that out of the way, I'm happy to introduce this month's guest, Carmen Jakinski. Carmen is the inventor of Reshod Walking Shoes, a 50K race walker, and an esteemed race walking coach. Frankly, I'm surprised I had not heard of Carmen or Reshod Shoes until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a couple of people I follow online have been posting about the shoes and how great they are, so I looked into it. I was impressed to learn that Carmen came up with the idea for a shoe, designed it, and was able to have them manufactured. My first thought was, how on earth does that happen? In this episode, Carmen talks about everything from her start as a race walker to how she came up with the idea for the shoe and made it happen. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Coach Carmen. Hi, Carmen. Thank you for joining me today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, I I really didn't know much about your walking career before I found out about your shoe. So could you please tell us a little bit about your walking career? Sure. I started race walking in 1986 in the Southern California area. And I found um, there was a race walk clinic being held at Mission Bay for 30 bucks, I believe, on June 4th, 1986. And so I signed up and um, took this class from Lizzie Kemp Salvato, who's another very well-known race walker in, uh, in the U.S., and took her class. Were you a runner before that? No, I was a gymnast. So okay. I had taken a bad fall when I was 17. It was my senior year and uh, had a couple of of scholarship offers that I had to turn down and was pretty devastated. Went to see a, a doctor, a physical therapist, and they, they said, your back really can't handle anything with any jarring, no impact, so not even cycling. So they said, you're really, two options are, are uh, swimming or walking. Well, not being a water person, I decided I would go with what I considered the lesser of the two evils <laughs> and uh, took up walking, hated it didn't really want to be passed by runners. I had a, a little ego issue there having been a gymnast. And then of course the, um, the whole stigma of being a walker is that you're some sort of a lesser athlete. And I had just been a gymnast, which people look up to and marvel. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm a lowly walker. And so I, I struggled with that for a long time, but um, really uh, liked the fact that it had a competitive component and that satisfied a, a big need of mine. The other thing that really kept me in the sport was that I was young for my sport. And in gymnastics, I was already too old anyway. And you, you get tired of hearing that as an athlete, you're too tall and you're too old. And so um, it was great to be in a sport that I was being told that I had this big long career. 
So I was excited and had some uh, delusions of grandeur, maybe, of going to the Olympics. And so that's that's what my goal was. Um, so when you first started walking, you started race walking immediately? Yeah, uh, actually, I started power walking, fitness okay. walking. Uh, I had a girlfriend at work, and we would go walking after work. And then I went to college, and I signed up for a PE class where we were told to go to the track. I thought it was just a weightlifting class. It was an aerobic weight training class. And so what I didn't know was that there was this part that we had to go to the track and run. And I told the teacher, man, I, I, I can't run. The doctor said, I, I can't do this. And she said, oh, no worries. You can walk. And I'm thinking, I don't think so. I'm not going to get passed <laughs> by all these people. It's embarrassing. And she said, no, 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 there's a group. And so, of course, you know how, how it goes when you, you go out and you're the fastest. You're thinking, oh, well, this isn't so bad. I'm faster than some other people. So maybe I'm good at this. And so I kept power walking. But then that's when I saw the, um, the ad for the race walk clinic. And uh, from then on, I was a race walker. And eventually my back got better and I was able to run. But that was many, many years later. I, I only raced walked from 86 to about 2000, maybe 1998. I finally bought a pair of running shoes and started running again. But aren't you a race walker now? I do. Yeah, I've been competing okay. for 33 years. So okay. yeah, I never gave up race walking. Actually, what happened was in 2000, when I didn't make it to the Olympic trials again, I had many failed attempts at Olympic trials. Um, Nike called and said they were looking for a race walk coach in their sports centers at their world headquarters, which was two and a half miles from my house. And so I, um, again, was, had decided I wasn't going to race walk anymore. I was going to just run. But this kind of pulled me back into it. Um, there were a lot of race. People wanted to learn how to race walk. And we had this big relay in the Portland area. It's Portland to coast. Mm -hmm. So teams of 12 walk from Portland all the way to Seaside. It's a 24-hour relay. And Nike was a sponsor of this. So they had 10 free spots for teams of their employees. So all of them were wanting to compete and do well. And so they contacted me to come over and maybe teach them how to race walk because they were seeing how the race walkers were, were winning um, the top spots in this race. And so what I had to do was figure out a way to kind of template my race walk um, class so that it was the same, so I could do it over and over. And I ended up coaching there for 10 years. Nice. And uh, yeah, and uh, also, started getting referrals to Columbia Sportswear, which also had a sports center. And then Tektronix, uh, just across the street, also had a, the corporate top corporate team. So they uh, hired me and I've been coaching them now for over 11 years. Wow. And so I've just gotten different, different gigs coaching. And at some point I left my job as a legal assistant and became a full-time coach, but also had been working on these shoes since 1990, about 1990, I suppose, early, early 90s. And so had, you, um, I did, you figured out in 1990 that the shoes were inadequate and you needed a different shoe? Yeah, back in 1986, actually, when Lizzie was teaching us and we were, I was competing in the San Diego area, there were actually athletes who modified their running shoes to get some better um, performance out of them and back then the shoes were mostly die cut and buff shoes so you could carve into them you weren't going to hit an air pillow or any other technology they didn't have a lot of plates and things going on back then 
So it's really easy to cut into the heel, for example, and bevel the back end of the heel. A lot of the heels were flared, so you could grind them down. You could do things like that. My, my boyfriend, who's now my husband, he was my boyfriend at the time. He would carve down my shoes for me and help me use shoe goo to glue them back together. And uh, then I saw other people would um, take a, a screw, um, a drill, and screw a hole through the toe area to give more flex, flexion. Uh, we didn't call it um, flex screws, but that's what they were. And I saw someone else poke a hole in the toe, the very tip of the toe of their shoe, and lace it back into their laces so that they could create extra toe spring in their toes. So, you know, those were things I saw and didn't know was either unusual or new or different, but I just figured that's what athletes did. And so for me, it was just um, something I, I, I added to my arsenal. And having been a gymnast, equipment is like the thing. Those are, those are key to your performance and you need to become one with the balance beam or the bars, I mean, they have to become an extension of your body. And in race walking, we only have shoes. So I just um, really focused on those and tried to figure out ways to make them work better. And um, was taking a physics class at that time. And he was really big on fulcrums and levers, fulcrums and levers. And just so happened my, my, my husband was in the class. That's where we met. And so I think it all just kind of came together in that one semester. I, I, I went to college. I, I learned how to power walk, which turned into race walking. I met the boyfriend. We were doing fulcrums and levers. And so I had this concept in my head, but just no ability to actually make the shoes. And we moved to Oregon then in 1992, and I got a job at Nike. And that's when I started talking to people. And I said, hey, do you know... Um, you know, walkers need a better shoe. And they told me that race walking was a niche market and that they, they weren't able to make money off the numbers. And that always struck me because when I would read the business periodicals talking about sports um, products, they always listed walking as the biggest category. So I kind of wondered why is the biggest category also a niche? And it's because race walkers want very specific stuff. They want a low profile shoe with a beveled heel. They want a flexible forefoot. They want an ankle collar that allows flexion extension. And the regular walkers weren't asking for any of that stuff. They just said, we want comfort. And so I think the, the brands were getting this mixed signal that walkers want two different things. They thought the race walkers want this and the regular walkers want that. And so we're just going to make running shoes and make them comfy, maybe put a different outsole tread on them for the walkers, and then they'll be happy. And the race walkers, well, you're just on your own. And so race walkers really gravitated to a lot of the running flats. And the problem with that is running flats are designed for runners. And so all the technology that goes into them is geared towards the running gait. And runners have vertical motion as well as horizontal as you know, walkers don't. We're supposed to fight vertical motion and we're only moving forward. So the, the running flats really don't work for me. And again, with my low back pain, I don't, I have never gotten into that kind of straight like a running technique. And so I think a lot of the faster runners are using that soft heel foam to propel. And so that's what's kind of propelling them forward. If they can be strong enough to drive forward and not vertical, not get their the lifting calls, they're good to go. And so I, I think that's kind of what I've seen in, in the walking market as far as race walkers go is they've just kind of stuck with the running flats and think, well, this is as good as it gets. And the walkers really have 
been silent as far as talking to to brands. And what I've noticed when I um, started making my shoes, then those walkers became more vocal and they would say things to me like, wow, finally, hey, these work better. I'm not having toe bang. Um, my, my knees don't hurt. My hips don't hurt. And I'm starting to hear things from all these walkers that I didn't realize they wanted a specific shoe either. So my goal was to make a shoe that will serve both. And that's where I came up with the angled foam component concept. And what I did was I looked at what do race walkers do that's the same as fitness walkers, power walkers, striders, occupational walkers, dog walkers. What do we all have in common? And what we have in common is that we all move heel toe and we all move horizontally with little or no vertical lift. And so I created a shoe with angled foam components to give a smooth ride heel to toe. And so next thing I needed to do was figure out how to make it and where to get the phone, where to get the components. So that was my process. Okay. And did you already have in mind, like how thick you wanted the sole to be and how it would angle or did that come later? Some of it I did and some of it I didn't. And again, it came, it had to do a lot with what materials were available. So if you go into a foam store or a fabric store, you can buy foam that's open cell. And open cell foam is something you'd find in, say, maybe some um, lawn furniture. It's very lightweight. It's open. It's airy. It, it dries very quickly if you wash it. Closed cell foam doesn't take on water. And that's a foam that's very difficult to, um, to find. And fortunately, I live in Portland, and I, I have connections now with, with footwear brands. And there's a footwear show, material show that comes to town twice a year that I was able to go and talk to vendors and get some samples to play around with. But originally, when I didn't have that foam, I had a very thick midsole. And then I kind of brought it down a little bit as I was able to find denser foams that were able to perform well. Um, I, I, I brought it down. So it's, it's a little more minim, minimalistic. But the concept has always been the same. So now I feel like we really jumped from I have an idea and now I have a shoe. <laughs> right. How did you get it to be a shoe? Um, so my husband actually said to me, Carmen, you're not making any progress. I was starting to talk to brands. So I, I was laid off from Nike in 1993 and went back to the legal field, which is what I'd been doing before. And started talking to all sorts of brands that they were all here in the Pacific Northwest or close by. And, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't, the doors weren't opening. And so I had filed a patent. And while I was waiting for that, I went back to work. And my husband said, hey, there's a, there's a shoe repair right by where you work, Carmen. Why don't you tell him to take in your athletic shoes? See if he'll carve off that midsole and outsole and start playing around with these foams. So that's what I did. So I went from modifying shoes to actually carving up pieces. And I have a whole box I could show you of all my uh, fails. You know, this is this foam with this foam, this angle, this length, this thickness. Uh, didn't care about colors. I would just take whatever I could get. So a lot of them look really goofy, but uh, I usually didn't get more than a, a foot square of anything. And I'd travel to Seattle sometimes and, and visit um, a, a source up there that had, had foams. But it was very difficult and a very slow process. But I had this wonderful shoe repairman named Deke Haycamp. And uh, he owned Busy Shoes. And he later 
um, sold his shops and has a very successful sporting goods um, outfit now here in the Portland area. But he would take them for me and I'd go try them out. And I did that for years. And um, finally, at some point, oh, then I left the legal field because after I couldn't get the shoe still by 19 or 2000, it was 2005, I got a job at Columbia Sportswear, got a job in their footwear department. So finally, I get into footwear and I learn about the manufacturing. They sent me to Asia. I was their uh, fit and wear test coordinator. And so I worked in their development team, learned a lot about all the uh, manufacturing of shoes. And that was a time when I actually met some people that um, was able to help me um, take it from this concept to the full shoe. And eventually met somebody at the footwear show who uh, worked for a factory. And that factory was willing to take a chance on me and said, hey, um, wow. let's make up some samples and see how this works. And the rest has has been history. So That is awesome. Thank I'm, you. I am so impressed. It was a long, long process. So from 19, well, if you start when I started beveling shoes, I would have been when I met Craig was 86. So from about 86, 87 to, um, yeah, 2017 was when the shoes first arrived. My full wow. red shoe. Yeah. In your materials about shoes, you have what you call pushover technology. Right. Can you explain what that is? So pushover technology is a name I came up with. Uh, pushover is push off and roll over. It helps you push off and roll over. So um, that's the technology that is that the rolling that helps you get a powerful stride behind you. And that's what is a big thing that's different between my shoes and, a, say, a running shoe. Pretty much the, the midsole configuration is reversed. So on a, on a running shoe, you typically have a heel that's soft. On my shoe, the heel is very firm. And then it tapers as you get to the toe. But then you have a very resilient uh, springy foam in the toe. Because where we want to get our powerful toe off is when we roll over onto our toes. So that's the push off. And that should be behind us. We want our stride to be behind not in front so that's yeah so I came up with that name was able to trademark it which is another very challenging process <laughs> getting a name <laughs> that no one's used so you ended up having this shoe in 2017 how did you get people to wear it or to try it so by then my coaching business was pretty large uh, there was I was up to like five track practices a week at one point. And so I teach a lot of race walk 101s. Let's Portland to coast teams. There are 400 Portland to coast teams of 10 to 12 um, walking to Portland coast on every every August. So I teach a lot of them. And so I have access to a ton of walkers. Also did shows. So I might go to Portland Women's Expo, the Doggy Dash. Dog walkers love the shoe. Um, I've been on TV a couple of times. I was fortunate to have a nice interview for um, from the, the local NBC channel. And, um, you know, blogs, um, websites, word of mouth. Um, it's just has kind of taken off. So is it still mostly a regional project product or are you spreading out more nationally and internationally? Well, actually, before I uh, sold the full shoe, 
I was resoling for my athletes. So that was one other phase I didn't mention was when I started reshot in 2007 or 2008, um, I still hadn't found a factory. And so I asked my husband, what, what do I do? He says, you make them the same way you've been making them. Like, you're kidding me, right? You think people are going to send me your shoes, Carmen? <laughs> and they did because <laughs> they wanted what I had. And I said, all right. So uh, people would send them from all over the world. I had uh, orders from Australia, from, I can't remember all the countries, Canada. But what, what I do in those cases is they would buy from a Zappos here locally in the U.S. and have free shipping to my address. I would resole them. They didn't see them till they were completely done. And so I would send them. So yeah, I've had uh, international orders since the very beginning of, of Rishad. And then when I got the full shoe, actually my first customers were in Australia. So they didn't even get make it here to the US. There's ships directly from China. So I'm in probably 15 different countries. Um, now I've had orders from, boy, um, as far away as India, Israel, uh, Colombia, uh, many in Canada and Europe, um, Singapore, New Zealand, Australia, uh, UK, um, Poland. They, they're they're all over the place, but mostly U.S. That's awesome. And you said a lot in Ohio. <laughs> a lot in Ohio. You have a lot of walkers out there that have found my shoe. And I have a retailer in Cincinnati which is another story, um, how the red shoe was designed, was actually the first design, I have two shoe designs. One is the red and the blue. They both have the same upper, but the midsole is different. So uh, the blue shoe was the original, and that is the one with the uh, 40 degree angled foam component. So it, it creates kind of a quicker pitch. So it's really good for turnover. But I had a professional golfer in Cincinnati who contacted me when I was resoling, and she said, hey, if I send you some golf shoes, would you put your midsole on them? And I said, well, yeah, but I really don't think it's going to work for you because when you are trying to hit a ball, this shoe is going to roll, roll you forward, and it's going to throw you off balance. They'll be great for walking the, the, the course, but I don't think they're going to help you hitting the ball. And she, she said, oh, well, let, let's try it anyway. So she sent me a couple of pairs of shoes. And and it, it, she said, you're right. I said, but let's hold, hold on just a second. Let me see if I can create something for you. So I created what's now the red shoe. So that red shoe was designed to allow somebody to walk, but also not to be thrown off balance when they just want to stand. So the red shoes are great for standing, slow walking, kind of moving around, but also is a, is a great race walk shoe. And I found that out because once I made them for her, I was curious what she was feeling since she was a different size. I made them in my size and I realized, hey, these are great for when I'm standing around coaching. I don't want to be falling forward. I don't want a shoe that's taken me, you know, in a, in a forward motion. I want to be still, but I also wanted to work like a good walking shoe when I demonstrate. So I made myself a pair and I started walking around in them and I realized they're kind of stiff at the beginning. But. I realized that the longer I'm walking, the longer my stride was getting. So it was kind of extending my stride, opening up my hips. And I realized by that point, hey, maybe this is the shoe for the general market. So it was Melissa at uh, Tri-County Golf in, um, in, in Cincinnati, who um, I think she's the golf ranch is her, her place. It's, it's in that area. And um, so she's a fan of the shoes, and so is her business partner. They both have a pair, and they sell them in their pro shop. So 
Woohoo! I there sold two retailers, <laughs> one in Ohio and one in Oregon. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. <laughs> so when you race, which which pair do you wear? I wear both. Uh, it depends on the distance. 50K, the red shoes, hands down, are my shoe. The blue shoes, they um, are my, my shoe that I wear on the shorter, faster races. So I'll wear those for my track practices. Uh, and I'll wear them for anything uh, 30K or under for, okay. for the blues. And I also love wearing them hiking. They have a good outsole for trails, gravel. I've taken them to um, a park, Silver Falls in Oregon, which has some mossy rock and wet gravel and mud. They've had pretty much every every terrain and and this shoe really performs well. And so I've been selling them to hikers recently. That's really interesting. I would have never thought to wear a race walking shoe hiking. Right. Well, and maybe <laughs> I should stop calling it a race walk shoe, but it was originally designed for race walkers. And so that's one of the things I need to work on is the perception um, of the shoes is um, maybe I need to, I don't, I don't know. You can help me with that. We need to come up with a name. So, hey, these are hikers too. <laughs> hikers are walkers too, right? Or maybe make it in a different color and just call it, yeah. it's the same shoe, but call it something different. Yeah. Or maybe uh, make the ankle a little bit higher. The shoe is very stable uh, laterally, but also flexible so that you um, can use your feet and they don't, they're not locked into a shoe so that when you tip, um, medially or laterally your whole ankle your whole foot doesn't come with you it just it allows you to right yourself which is what you want in a in a good shoe so when you started making these shoes and and you said they're made out of the country yeah they were in china i've since moved out of china okay but, yeah so but they're in uh, asia okay so you're ma you're having these shoes made out of the country, and then they're shipped here, and then you have to promote them, and you have boxes, and you have postage. So right. how exactly do you figure out the cost of a shoe when you have all those things going on? Yeah, it's a little complicated. I thought I'd sell through them a lot quicker, but I had a factory. Um, the factory sends them directly to my warehouse in Portland, and from there, I had them was that company was doing the fulfillment and that just got really expensive because they didn't sell as quickly as I thought that they would um, just because I didn't have the sales channel. I was thinking that retailers would want to pick them up because they don't carry walking shoes. And the problem with that was that retailers were happy selling running shoes to walkers because they don't have extra inventory and you bring in a new line and now you have to make room for it. You have to have shelf space for it. And so they were pretty resistant to taking on the shoe. So it, it turned out that pretty much everything I sell has to be either online or through shows in person coaching. And I'm told, I was totally fine with that. So what I ended up doing is telling the warehouse, you just hold on to them. I'll take them case by case. And then I'll, um, ship them or sell them in person but yeah the postage free shipping isn't free um, so that's a pretty big cost for me to um, send back and forth because I offer free returns if people need to size swap but uh, there's a retail math that you can figure out how to um, set that MSRP and it's it's complicated it, it it has to do with what you pay what they call the landed cost what your shoe cost to to actually arrive and that 
that includes what you pay the factory, your shipping, your bond for um, the insurance. And you have somebody who's kind of facilitating that. You have to pay them. You have to pay, um, I pay a, a commission to the people, my factory agent. And um, then, of course, a tariff. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's rough. Uh, my last pair of shoes has a 35% tariff on the oh, shoes. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so that was really tough, and and the really sad part was they sh they were supposed to arrive before the tariff took effect, but there was a a glitch in um, the tariff code that didn't get processed correctly, and so it had to be redone, and it delayed my shipment just enough time to have to pay the thirty five percent tariff. So that hurt, but on the on the plus side, they got here before COVID. So I had a full warehouse <laughs> full of shoes. So when COVID hit and the, the, the stores are shutting down, now is my time to sell shoes. And I've been selling shoes very well online. So, Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, how many do you order at a time? Um, I don't order a lot. And I, when I say a lot, maybe a couple thousand. Okay. You know, they're used to probably 30,000 orders, 30,000 pair in one order. And so I, I was fortunate to find a factory letting me do a few and 2000 is a few. <laughs> so well, I know what you mean. When I first started walk magazine, find, trying to find a printer who would only print 4,000 magazines was yeah. really, really hard. Now it's a lot yeah. more common, yeah. but back then it was not very common. <laughs> well, and you've got risks with shoes is when that first pair came it was very scary and not only was it coming at the time when when Un was shooting missiles over the uh, towards Japan, my cargo ship was kind of heading this way. That was scary. <laughs> but um, what I didn't know was whether they'd be right when I got here. I mean, we could have had all sorts of issues. There could be mold. Um, they maybe weren't lasted properly. They could have defects. They could. Um, you know, there's just a number of things that could be wrong on the shoes. Maybe they delaminate. Um, maybe the outsole that they used wasn't right and it's wearing faster. Um, it really could, there could have been all sorts of issues um, that could have made the shoes unsellable when they got here or just average. And, you know, when you do your first run, you want them to be right. You want a first good impression. And so that first set was very, very scary for me. That was just, it was, um, very unnerving besides all the stuff that was going on geopolitically um, getting them here and seeing that they were correct and seeing that there was no mold and everything was done correctly for the most part there were a few flaws but the sizing was right and that is uh was a huge sigh of relief so once i got those in and started selling them i started working on the next shoe the blue one which i'd been racing in for years but it was more complicated to make the factory said, let's make the red one first. And I knew that that red shoe would be one I could sell to fitness walkers, power walkers, just all day walkers. And if the race walkers panned it, it wouldn't have mattered because I had another market I could sell to. Whereas the, the, the blue shoes were made, in my mind, they were made for race walkers. And so I was hoping that they would like them. They're, they're lighter and they have a new outsole that's half as thick. So it's, um, it's got great traction, but lightweight, and it performs uh, well, but also more like a race flat, like they're used to, but was much more expensive because of that 35% tariff. But it sounds like your shoes last longer. 
They do. They're not molded parts, which most shoes you buy um, online have molded parts, but mine are a die cut and buff construction. And what that means is that the parts are laminated together. So once you wear out your heel, for instance, you could take it to a regular shoe repair and they could just build up that heel and, and just put some rubber um, soling material on there and you're good to go. If um, you wear out that whole outsole, you can actually have them peel that off and put another entire new outsole. In fact, they can buy the exact same one and replace it so it'll look just like it was brand new. And that midsole material lasts quite a long time. And the upper is also pretty bulletproof. Um, it could last two or three uh, resolings. Wow. Uh, and yeah, I've had a my, Portland Shoe Repair resoles them all the time. He's had a customer come in three, three, four times. Wow. I don't recommend that many, and it depends on how you wear the shoe. But in general, you can you can make that shoe last quite a long time. That is awesome because I usually wear a shoe about six months, and that's where oh. trading it off with other shoes. So when you're wearing like three different pairs of shoes a year at over a hundred dollars a year, it does, I mean, and I'm not even a hard user compared to other people. And it's always a, a crap shoot if the shoe is going to work for you because they right. never have the same one that you loved. Right. Never. That's what keeps them in business. Those developers, yeah. they are always improving. So how much does it cost to resole a shoe? The Portland shoe repair charges 60 to put okay. the entire outsole on there. Okay. And I do now have fresh insoles. So you can buy that for 10 bucks, get that added, and or just buy those insoles. If your outsole is lasting pretty well, but you want a fresh insole, you can get those too. Oh, that's great. And um, do these shoes work with orthotics? Oh, yeah. It has a very deep okay. toe box. And okay. I recommend that if you have orthotics to use them. So are there any race walkers whose names we'd recognize who wear your shoes? Stephanie Casey. She finished second in the 50 kilometers this year. She was a, she, she wasn't entered in the women's race, but she was, she came in as a late ad, but she was second overall in the women's 50 K this year, um, wearing the blue shoes. So I was oh, pretty wow. proud of that. And then of course, Mike Manazzi, you know, Mike. Yes. He's done well at Olympic trials. He finished, he also finished, I think he was sixth in the men's race at the Olympic trials this year. He also wore the red shoes, but he's a big, big fan. I, I love Mike. He just kind of showed up and one day and had done a clinic for me and was very interested in the shoes. And he'd asked, been asking about them before and, and bought a pair and liked them. And it was really touting them to others. And I said, Hey, why don't you be my ambassador? You seem like just the kind of guy I need. <laughs> And Stephanie, Stephanie's not my ambassador. She's a friend, but she um, showed up to a race one day. She had just had a baby and I think the baby was maybe four months old, but she wanted to qualify for Olympic trials or national. It was nationals. And uh, she came in the red shoes. She bought them from me and I, I was flattered that she would do that. But I, you know, I really didn't expect her to love, love, love them. I thought she was buying them because she was my friend, but she bought two pair. And she came to this race and, and was just coming out of her maternity leave and qualified for nationals in the red shoes. And so I was just thrilled. I just thought this is, this is crazy. 
that she not only loves my shoes, but she's she's going to nationals in my shoes. So that was kind of fun to see Mike and Stephanie racing them. And Stephanie's still not an ambassador. We we're just friends. She she wears them because she wants to, but just doesn't have time to help promote my brand. Um, she has four children, and she's a doctor. And uh, so I have Darlene Backland, who's another uh, fan of the shoes. And again, she bought shoes early on. She was one of my early adopters. And I, I really appreciate the people who bought shoes, kind of sight unseen, just kind of do those pre, pre-sales. But she loved, loved, loves them and just couldn't stop talking about them. Say, hey, I need to bring you on board. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have her. I have a couple others that uh, kind of help spread the love and uh, appreciate that. So yeah, ambassadors are another uh, tool that I use to kind of spread the word. To show how effective Mike is, I follow him online and that's how I initially found your shoe was through seeing how much Mike loved them. And I had never heard of your company. So I did a little research and thought, wow, this sounds really interesting. Nice. Nice. I appreciate you saying that. I like the organic growth. I don't want to bring in people to sell my shoes for me. I don't want to go, you know, find the star and say, hey, wear my brand and here I'll sponsor you. For starts, I don't have the money to do that, but I really would rather have people who uh, were initially customers who really like the brand that can, can you know, have time to, to promote and, um, and to help me grow it. So I seem to be getting more and more of those every day. And I, I really enjoy talking to customers and I talk to them quite a bit. They're always surprised when I answer the phone. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just me. <laughs> yeah, so you can't say, I'm sorry, she's not here today. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Although I'll tell you, Facebook, the internet can really make you look a lot bigger than you are. So that's kind of fun. Kind of levels the playing field a little bit. If you're not a big brand, you can kind of make yourself look that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what are your goals for your race walking now? I was always an athlete training for Olympic trials. I always wanted to get to the Olympics. And there's a part of me that I think it's just um, a genetic flaw. I can't get that out. There's, if, if, if that is ever out of the picture, I probably will be very sad. Uh, I was very grateful for Aaron Taylor Talcott's um, push to get the women's 50K added to the Olympics. She's awesome. Yeah, and that's an event that um, I hadn't ever considered because I was a speed girl. I mean, I just, I love the 5,000. I could do okay in the 10, almost qualified for Olympic trials in the 10,000 back in 92. Um, But just the thought of going 20 or beyond was just way, way past my, my, my mental frame. And, uh, but then when this opportunity came about and I I realized I probably will never make it in the shorter distances, maybe uh, at least testing my shoes in the 50K would be a worthwhile effort because nobody's going to yell at me for coming in last. They want to fill the field. They want to, you know, they want to populate. So I felt like I was helping Aaron um, get some get some bodies into this race and it's also an opportunity for me to test my shoe at the longest foot race in in the olympics and whether or not you know i go to the olympics is is still yet to be seen i obviously last year didn't work out too well <laughs> <laughs> but you know it i i'm kind of hoping that with this extra year with tokyo that perhaps they'll reconsider and maybe find a way to to sneak in the women's event to the 50 and I would love, love, love to have time to train um, full time. It's something I haven't had. 
initially when I was 29 and I came to Nike, I thought, you know, if I could work at Nike and help them make shoes for walkers, I could train and kind of juggle my life, right? And what I ended up happening is double tripling my work because once I took on the shoe project and didn't have a job in footwear, now I'm working full time, I'm creating a shoe, I'm trying to train and you know, got other stuff. And it, it ended up just taking up all of my time and energy. And I never really was able to get good at one thing. And the one thing I really wanted to do was to be a good athlete. And, and that part makes me sad. But, um, you know, there's a bigger picture. And when you look back at your life and you see what you do, sometimes you end up being a bigger impact and something you'd never considered. And hopefully I can do that in the footwear if the, the whole Olympic thing doesn't work out. <laughs> but again, in my head, there's a part of me that thinks um, it could still happen. One more time. I, I, I wouldn't dream past Tokyo, but I, I'm kind of hoping that uh, this COVID thing ends and I would have some time to really train fully and, and be able to get strong and really focus on that and, and see how fast I can get. Um, I really think there's still an athlete, a young athlete inside here that wants to get out. And now that I have the shoes, if I had an opportunity to train, probably could do well. But but if not, I'm going to look back and, and just be grateful because God has just blessed me with so much that I, I can't ever look back with regret. That sounds like an awesome note to end this on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for talking to me today. I, I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy chatting with you. And I look forward to getting out to Ohio one of these days. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see if you enjoy it. Our weather's weird. <laughs> I'll take it. I want the people. I want to meet the people. So I'll come out for that. How about that? Sounds good. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Carmen as much as I enjoyed talking with her. She was so easy to talk to. When she comes to Ohio, I hope we get the chance to meet in person. By the way, before the interview, I had ordered a pair of the bluest shoes to try. Unfortunately, they didn't arrive until after we recorded. I haven't put many miles on them yet, but so far I really like them. I'll post a shoe review on the walk blog in a couple of weeks. To learn more about Rishad Shoes and Carmen's coaching services, go to Rishad.com. You can also find Carmen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. I'll post links to all of those in the show notes. Did you know I interviewed Mike Manazzi about the 2016 Olympic race walk trials? If you are interested in listening to it, check out episode 17. Looking forward, the next episode of the podcast features race director David Babner, He's going to discuss COVID-19 and social distancing and how they have affected racing. David is the owner of M3S, which puts on races such as the Capital City Half Marathon, Emerald City Half Marathon, and the OSU 4-Miler. You're not going to want to miss it. If you are looking for me, you can find me at walk-magazine.com and on Facebook at Walk Magazine. Send me an email at cindy with an I at walk-magazine.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget, why run slow when you can walk really fast? The Walk Magazine theme song, Walk With Me, was written by my brother-in-law, Gordon Lehman, and was recorded at Real Time Audio in Denton, Texas. 
The recording engineer was Eric Delagarde, and it was produced by Gordon and Eric. Vocals are by Whitney Wilson, cello by Madeline Hansen, guitar and Fender Rhodes by Gordon Lehman. Thanks, Gordon. Would you walk with me today? Would you walk with me tomorrow? And if you walk with me today, I'll never cause you any pain. I'll never cause you any sorrow. Would you walk with me forever? Would you walk with me tonight? And if you walk with me forever, I promise that I'll never be far from your sight. Walk with me. Would you walk with me? And if you walk with me, I'll walk with you for eternity.
Would you walk with me tomorrow? And if you walk with me today, I'll never come.